Hi, I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and ASEC certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Claim the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things that you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. The show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Yeah, me too. Welcome to the next chapter of Claim the Stage. It's my birthday episode. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm both shocked to be 40 and not shocked. Like it seems like it took a long time to get here. Well, you could see it coming. Yeah, you could see it. <laughs> it didn't it didn't like leap out and surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I'm also like, wait, I'm 40? How did that happen? So maybe that's just the way of it though. Like there's something to the word 40. We've imbued it with all of this meaning. Mm-hmm. 40. I told someone on an online date last week that I was turning 40 next week. And he said, for the first time, and I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I totally didn't get the joke at all. He's like, cause women lie about their age. I'm like, they lie about being 40. I didn't, yeah, I was just, let's be clear. Dudes lie about their age too. They just tend to do it at a different stage. They tend to start lying around 60. Oh. Just to be clear, in the dating realm, like there are no 60-year-old men. There are an awful lot of 58 and 59-year-old men, like a lot, oh. a lot. So, oh. you know, yeah. Hmm. The market value of age in dating. Well, I am interested to see if the like matches start to reduce as my age goes up because now it's going to say 40 on my profile. A grown woman. Yeah. I have a, an in-person date tonight, like my first date going to someone's house and he's cooking me dinner. Amazing. I know. (laughs) Also shocking to your system. Like if you have forgotten how to make person to person contact, the first date sounds like, like not like just a regular first date, but now, oh, also we've been in quarantine for a year. Yeah. There's a first date. (laughs) And also I've never been to a guy's house for dinner where he was making me dinner. Like I really? can't think of okay. any time that is that like at least not this early on. And I don't so think I'm, you've I I don't think you've fully embraced that. Like just say that sentence back again. It's so depressing. <laughs> I, I just no, I so I think it's celebratory. Oh, it think is. Think okay. of how far you have come. <laughs> I think that that's worth noting. Yeah. Well, I thought I don't should I bring him flowers? Like, what do you bring to a guy's house for dinner? So I went to the grocery store this morning and I bought his dog some treats. <laughs> Very creative. That's so Angela. Because every time we talk on Zoom, his dog is on top of him. He calls it the Velcro dog. He's like, this dog never leaves me alone. I love it. And then I bought some cookies because he's cooking dinner. So he maybe he'll make dessert too, but you can't really go wrong adding cookies to dessert. There's no, there's no wrong time to have cookies around. No. Zero. So I'm like, it's great that I'm 40 and I'm still like, so how do I go on a date? I'm not really sure how to do it. I mean, <laughs> what is the answer to that question anyways? I have no idea. What does that even mean? What is the concept of date anyways? I, I don't think you're alone. Yeah. Well, I, I've been thinking about the concept of a midlife crisis lately. And I, I wonder if the fact that I had a really difficult 2019 and then we all had a difficult 2020 just kind of meant that naturally right now in my life would be a time of reevaluation and just like thinking about my life differently. Or if it's the fact that I'm turning 40 and now I'm like, oh, hold on a second. Now I'm in the midlife. <laughs> so it's kind of like an interesting convergence of experience in the last couple of years and also time, just natural time happening. 
the collective and the individual coming together at a really pivotal time for you personally. Yeah. Because this has been a big time. You're right. Everybody's been in upheaval. And I think everybody's reflecting on what that, what things mean anymore. But you've been through the ringer, we could say. We could say that. Yeah. Yeah. The ringer. Is there a more complicated version of the ringer? <laughs> you're having part, you're experiencing necessary parts of your individuation process. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. You're growing at Angela. There's no right way to do it. <laughs> well, I thought that it would be really nice to have one of my mentors on the show today who I met 10 years ago. I was still, I think I was like 28 actually. And I was just starting my first business as a career consultant. I was doing my first workshop for my business in my hometown at the library where I used to go as a kid. So it was very meaningful to me. My family was there. And this woman, Martha Johnson, showed up. And she, after the workshop, talked to me for a little bit and wanted me to help her get on LinkedIn. And from there, we built a friendship. And she's been a great guide to me and a role model and someone who has just shared so many stories about her life that make me laugh so hard because I could see myself doing the same things as her because she was a speaker. She owned a consulting agency. You know, she's written books. She just, she's always been very committed to her career and really focused. And uh, she's a hard worker and she always looks for problems to solve. And she always like finds herself in new projects. She's like, I don't know what happened. I was trying to slow down. And then before I knew it, I was doing five new things. <laughs> Like, we always laugh at each other because we're like, we're going to slow down this time. And then we talk next month and it's like, I'm doing this new project. I'm writing this new book. I just contacted this person. <laughs> just Very never, chill. Totally chill. So it's been great getting to know her and having her as a sounding board. So I wanted to bring her on the show today specifically because she's 81 years old and she's, you know, twice my age and can share so much of her wisdom from her life and her mistakes she's made and things she would have done differently looking back on it. So it's, it's kind of an honor to introduce her. She was on the show a while back. I think it was like maybe episode 14. I'll link to the episode in the show notes where she talked about a process she created and a question that she likes to ask people that she's training, which is why might you be unwilling or are you unwilling? And that I'll just share the story really quickly because it's such a great story. She was That's doing a great a, quote. <laughs> yeah, it is. She was doing a training, I think, with a bunch of sales managers, perhaps, and where she worked in, in DC. And at the end of like spending a whole entire week with them and putting plans together and action steps, she said to everyone at the end of the workshop, So who's gonna work the plan? And nobody raised their hand. <laughs> and she and then she thought of the question, why might you be unwilling? And that opened up a whole new training for her because yeah. really that was what people needed to be talking about is why they're not willing to take these steps when they know what they need to do to reach their goals. And that changed her work and it kind of influenced a lot of her future writings and, publi and published articles and presentations because that's where the intel lives is in the resistance. And yeah. so the episode we did on, on my show years ago was all about that. And it's, it's a, uh, it's one of those questions that lives forever. You know, it's not like a trendy question. It's one that we can revisit almost every day in our lives when we come up against something and we procrastinate or we avoid like, why might I be unwilling? It's such a, a simple question, but it can lead to so much insight I just want to give some shout out to those managers who are sitting in that training and just willingly said they weren't unwilling because that I find is actually the hardest part. Like, I think you're totally right. I think her question is brilliant. And just getting people to admit that they're experiencing some resistance to change is huge. So good job them. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that worked out. I think that's also a testament to her ability as a trainer because yeah. she created a safe container for them to be able to say that. So kudos to Martha. Definitely. And then that. to develop it further. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I was in a training this week. I am doing a six week series with a corporation and 
we just did the fourth week. And at the end of the class, I asked if anyone had any questions and one of the women raised her hand and she said, you know, in, in our company, we, we present in front of a committee once a month and we all go up one after the other, like each category department goes up one after the other to present in front of this committee. She said, they always look bored. They always look judgmental. Our presentations are always the same. And if I were to in incorporate the stuff that you're teaching us to do, I think they would think I was really weird. And I love that she asked me that question because it means that she trusts me enough to say that. Yeah. And it's also a question I get all the time because I'm not just teaching people to make PowerPoint slides. Yeah. Um, Wait, we're going... Can you say what the question was? Cause like she, I heard the statement. I want to hear like, how did she pose it? Oh, so the question was, I want to use uh, polls. Like I was teaching them how to use polling in zoom. She mm -hmm. said, I think it'd be a fun way to um, interact with the audience by in integrating a poll, but I'm afraid that if I do, then they're going to think I'm really weird. Right. And so I don't, I'm, I'm probably not going to do it. <laughs> and, and I was able to answer that question pretty quickly because after doing trainings with doctors, I've heard that question over and over again, because they're like, no, there's a certain way we do this. And if, if I do what you're teaching us to do, everyone's going to be looking around going, who is this crazy person? Who's... God, we're all so self-conscious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, do you really think that they're going to walk out of the room going, she used a pole? <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> who is she? Yeah, but I did preface Who does it. that MD think they are? <laughs> Wait a minute. Listen to that sentence again. Insecurity, man, it can everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, it is. It is. It's easier to just do what everyone else is doing. Um, Which is, is mostly just because people don't know how to use polls. Yeah. The only reason we're not using more polls is because people are like, oh my God, I have to press another button. Yeah. And I don't know how, and I might do it wrong. And what if everyone thinks I'm dumb? So really what they're going to be is trendsetters. Yes. Yes. So um, I guess we can jump into the interview unless there's anything else that you want to share about aging wisdom from the 44 year old perspective. I mean, unless you're going by a different age, I don't know what age you're going by. <laughs> oh man, you outed me. Jeez. No, I'm totally, I am, I'm 44 and a half. And my, um, my wisdom would be this. It's mostly that you're doing you. It's at your pace, your speed. There's no right way to grow up. There's no way, right way to age. And some days when you and I are talking, I think, am I like a whole generation older than Angela? Or, <laughs> And it's because I had my kids younger. So we're doing different things at different times. And it reinforces to me that there is no timeline that we're all just on our own timeline and that that might piss off some people in your life that might not work for some people. And I don't think that that needs to be the end of the world. You'll either, you'll either figure out how to navigate each other's different timelines or you won't, but you don't. Also, I want to tell everyone that right now, Angela is sitting in a position that gives her bug antennas. She just happens to have antennas. She happens to be sitting in front of something that means that she is turning 40. She's very mature. It's all very grown up and she has antenna. Um, you know, just keep having fun. You are one of the most fun people I know in the whole world and possibly the most fun person I know in the whole world. That's you're, unfortunate. You're, no, you're always looking for joy. You're always looking for the silly and the goofy and open to like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I love that about you. So happy birthday. Thank you. And I think that's all. Okay. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> all right. Well, everyone enjoy my conversation with my mentor, Martha Johnson. Martha Johnson, welcome back to the show. You are our you have been a guest twice now, back by popular demand. Oh. <laughs> back by your demand. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to talk with you today about the subject of aging and dying and legacy because I'm turning 40 today and it's on my mind. And I know a lot of our listeners are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and thinking about these subjects. And you are 81 years old, 81 years young. I don't know how we say that. And 
in your ninth decade. And I know you have a lot of wisdom to share. So I wanted to have you come on the show, not only because you've lived a lot of life, but also because you've been a mentor to me for the last 10 years and have shared so much with me. I know we we joke that you're my older sister. <laughs> and older. <laughs> yeah. And uh you you've helped me so much in my life. And I would love for you to share some of your insights with our audience. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, you're you're most welcome. And it is it's really an honor and to to see somebody so like me come along younger able to do some of the things that either in my uh, uh, century, in the, in, the, in the cultural period of time in which I grew up, you know, it just wasn't that easy. And to see you doing some things that, that I am really excited about just makes me very happy. I love that. Happy birthday, Angela. In honor of your birthday, I want to start out by reading you something for you and your listeners. Okay. Because at whatever age, it's important. This is a poem by Dawn Markova, who wrote a book of the same title, I Will Not Die an Unlived Life. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. So in honor of you and your 40th birthday, here we go. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, or a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as a seed goes on to the next as a blossom. And that which came to me as a blossom goes on as fruit. Mm, I love that. Thank you. If you could go back in time and give your 40-year-old self advice, what would you tell her? Well, you know, I have very few regrets about my life, which is a very wonderful thing at 81 to feel. Uh, one of the gifts is uh, of this time is that your life becomes illuminated. You see things that you haven't seen before. Uh, but what I would tell her, I think, is the thing that I've been working on all my life and little by little have, have managed to gain some, some uh, comfort with is to explore your truth, discover your way and tell the truth about it. Have the courage to tell the truth about what you know, what's true for you. And it's become um, more important, that piece of advice, as we enter these, these days from 60 on. You know, they're still trying to figure out what name to call this age because we've been given a gift of longevity that we didn't have before. Uh, and all of a sudden it, we reach 60 and we've got 30 more years to live. <laughs> and what are we gonna do with those years? And there isn't really a map. Um, and retirement is kind of like diminishing. There is no such thing as retirement anymore. So uh, the wonderful thing that anybody of any age, um, particularly those over 40, um, can start thinking about is, you know, what am I going to do with my life? What really matters? I've heard you say many times that your favorite decade was your 40s, right? Or was it your 50s? Yes. Was your, was your 40s. What made that your favorite decade? Um, I discovered my work. Um, I, I like to say I lived my life following my nose. Um, 
I remember in college, the women, I graduated from college in 1961, and so many women were agonizing about how they could have a career and be married. Um, they wanted both. And it was certainly the, the, the plan that every woman would be married and have children. It was still that age of the wife being important. And it was just before the women's movement. And I didn't have that worry because I didn't care about getting married. <laughs> and I just followed my nose in terms of eliminating elementary school teaching and and then I traveled and then I went to Washington and I started paying attention to, and I worked for the National Park Service and I was in management. And there's where I really honed in on, look, management and leadership are key. And people are are doing it out of routine. And there's something missing here that, that why aren't people doing more things that they really love to do? Which is what I was doing. I was following my nose and I wouldn't do anything I didn't want to do, which was a great privilege, of course. But in those ages, in that age, uh, affirmative action was just starting and um, I happened to be the beneficiary of it. and. You know, I'm probably unusual, and then I don't. I never felt discrimination. I never, as a woman, nor in employee. And at that point, the National Park Service was all male. But so I had, a, I led a charmed life in in many ways, or I created a charmed life. Um, you know. What would you say are the hidden gifts of aging? That's a, that's a great question because um, I see the, the gifts associated with challenges. Um, the gift, one of the gifts is you really get a chance, and, and this depends on how reflective one is. Some people are not very reflective, and that's okay, but I happen to be one who is reflective. And so looking back at your life, uh, you get a chance to really see, you know, the choices that you made and, and what you did and, and a few of the regrets, regrets that you have. Um, the, the challenge uh, there is, you know, you're going through, you know, being very independent and just doing your thing. And then as you age becoming more vulnerable and there's a loss in aging. And I had it early because I had MS. And so I lost my tennis game and I lost my jogging and I lost my business and I lost a lot of things. Um, and, and then you move into a recognition that, oh, I don't have to do it all myself. And I, besides I can't. And so there's this stage of interdependence and that that we're we live among many, and we need to give and we need to receive. So, is it in some ways that's a combination of a of a gift and a challenge? I, I think the other thing that that uh, goes along is um, eventually, if you are aging consciously, looking at your life as you go along, uh, you come to the place of you know what. I'm enough. <laughs> and uh, the working hard, you know, is that struggle to be good enough. And then, and then when you slow down, well, you know, maybe it's okay. You know, do, doing this, uh, I, as you know, I've been sorting. Uh, yeah. One of the, one of the gifts of, of being 80 and one of the gifts of the COVID quite frankly is I had time to, I wrote 103 pages about 133 pages about my life history which was fascinating in terms of the illumination it provided for me and one of the things I found in my files and this maybe was written in my I don't know when it would have been in my 
40s or 50s or 60s. But anyway, apparently I was at a camp. This is, I wish I'd had the date. But this weekend is a marker. This weekend is a space reminding me I'm good enough to finally slow my pace. <laughs> Working at the things I love has been a dream come true. And now that I'm retired from work, well, I know what to do. Playing with the things I love is the change I want to make, following my heart and soul for health and goodness sake. I can't believe this came out. I mean, I just found it yesterday. <laughs> I love that. Oh, dear. I've heard you say before that getting MS was a gift to you. Can you talk yeah. more about how that was a gift? Yeah. Um, well, it's it's kind of a long story, but let me see. How uh, old were you when you found out you had I'm that? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Uh, I okay. got a diagnosis, and I had a business, and my glory years were still going on in terms of the work that we did and helping people get the results that they wanted in the government and personally. And I just love that work. And um, I got the diagnosis, and it took a time for you know, me to slow down and eventually stop jogging, eventually walk with a cane and we moved to Massachusetts. And um, I was really approaching alternative healing. And so at, in, when I was 69, and this would have been 12 years after the original diagnosis, I heard about a healer in Brazil, John of God. And so I went there and um, in that, in that space, he told me, or I got in meditation, if you don't write what you know, you will not heal. I was one month, I was, well, 69 years old. The next nine months, I wrote, why not do what you love? putting in all the things that were important to me about the work that we were doing that I had been afraid to say, resided in boxes in my bed, my basement. And so in many ways, the MS forced me, it was a two by four to the head, which forced me out of the work hard, you have to do it by yourself, uh, independence into the dependence and eventually the interdependence. But the, but the truth is it helped me see, gain a bit of courage, a lot of courage. Um, okay, I'm just going to write this. Okay. And nine months later, I, I went back to Brazil and delivered him the book and was blessed. And I started healing. So, um, in a variety of ways, but it, it made me change my life. Uh, and that was when I was 70. Yeah, and that was when I met you. And uh, I met you, I think about 69, we had joined the women's uh, or business organization and I was really staying on the periphery because I didn't have a lot of energy, but I was doing the best I could. You taught me to go on Facebook and Facebook <laughs> all had only been founded two years before. I mean, think about this. So here I was trying to master the computer and this is a whole new age. Yeah. I think I got you on LinkedIn too. And LinkedIn. I probably still have the same, I probably still have the same promo on there. I've got to look at it. Well, when we met, you were you had moved up from Washington, D.C., and you were living in your childhood home. And since then, you've moved to an independent living residence. And I remember you telling me when you arrived there, you were, among, you were one of the youngest people there. And everyone knew that this was sort of their last stop. This was where they were going before they died. And you were shocked that there was no conversation going on about that. No one was talking about aging. No one was talking about dying. And so you did something to kind of introduce that conversation. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, but it, it starts a little bit earlier because 
I thought I was going to live forever. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I had no concept of death until I was 74. Now, I had been through MS, which is a form of death, but I didn't ever see it as a form of death. Of all the, I mean, I lost all the things that the people who are aging in their, in their 70s and 80s lose during the MS, and I was 60. And, um, but when my brother died at 74, all of a sudden I said, oh my God, I am gonna die too. <laughs> and so there were 16, I figured at 74 to 90, uh, that's 16 years. And what am I gonna do with those years? And it was just like an epiphany. That question came out at his memorial service what are you going to do with your life, Martha? And these were remaining days. And I had two answers. One, I'm going to plan what to do with my life. I'm going to discover, learn about death and dying. And secondly, I'm going to help other people do the same. In 1974, people were scared to death to talk about death. That was before... Atul Gawande's wonderful book came out, Being Mortal. And, and fortunately in Western Massachusetts, a very far a visionary palliative care doctor at the local hospital um, organized in, in the spring of 1916, uh, 2016, he organized readings and discussions at every church, every library, every senior center, uh, so that that discussion became possible in our area. And it was amazing. So not only did I do some classes at the conversations at the senior center, I remember the day when I said, oh, I want to start talking about death and nobody's doing it. And what am I going to do? And this was kind of a courage moment. And um, I said, the title should be, what's a good death and how can I have one? Well, I freaked out, you know, to put this out in public, what's a good death? Well, we put it out in public. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to hide. I know this to be true. I've been a pioneer in the past and I, and I was scared. And this time I'm not going to, I'm not going to be scared. <laughs> so anyway, it was our best class because there's such a hunger to talk about what's real and what's true. And yes, here I led uh, discussions that I call remaining taste discussions. They weren't very deep, but it was a way for people to just um, share with each other. And, and I'll never forget, you know, when you do discussions, or when you do any kind of leadership, you learn so much, which is one thing about keeping you healthy when you age, you keep learning. And I, and I asked the question, if, if you're thinking of a baseball game and you're thinking of a football game, where are you in the, in, as a metaphor in this, this scheme of things? And one guy, and they said different things. They said, I'm at um, halftime, I'm at the fourth, fourth, uh, fourth quarter, one guy said, I'm at um, the, the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs. There's two strikes and three balls. And that's where I am. Well, the whole room just went silent. But he dared to say what was true for him which just shifted the whole discussion. And that's what I like about, um, you know, daring to promote these uh, discussions, which is one of the ways I use my time now is <laughs> asking people to talk about what matters. Yeah. What have you seen happen in those groups in terms of the members or the participants mood or their ability to reflect on their life and share their life? Well, it's just the only space to do that. 
And so I don't know that there have been big shifts and I don't know that we've gone deep enough, but people love to come and they bring poetry and they bring their ideas. Um, what I think has had more impact was uh, the program that I run on transition because um, although aging has numerous transitions, you know, every every decade, and you think of it that way, and then there's pain associated with the loss. There's always some loss. There's always a limbo period, and then you move into the new. And I feel like I'm, in some ways I'm in that now. But I would give programs for new people who are coming in here. Now, what there was more impact from those, and we just have two sessions and just honor the fact that a transition is painful and maybe it takes three or six months to get used to the place here. Think about coming if your spouse has died, if you sold the house that you've lived in for 50 years, if you, um, if your children moved you and you didn't really want to come and, and a whole routine that's different. Um, and those People were so hungry. I mean, people would come in here crying. And there was a big change because they, first of all, allow themselves to cry because it was appropriate. And secondly, allow themselves to take the time to get to know people and just, you know, just become acclimated and that it was a normal and tough process. So I feel, I feel very good about that work and it wasn't a lot of work but it was just a a way of honoring what's true about life mm -hmm. life is sometimes tough yeah and it's okay to say so um, I, I love that you created a group just to talk about these topics that are on our mind but there isn't really a place for them so it's wonderful that you created that what would you say is most important to you now in your ninth decade? Well, I think one thing that's important is recognizing how uh, the basics of living life well don't change. Uh, the notion that we have to remain healthy eat well and exercise and move and uh, the notion that we need to be doing something useful, meaning and purpose, finding something. I'm always encouraging people if they have an idea, just go do it uh, because never mind what anybody says. If one person is interested, you are affecting that one person's life. Um, the other thing is friendships. And being an independent person, I, um, you know, my work was my body of friends. And um, so right now, since 1974, um, I have a group that meets and we meet every week with the COVID on Zoom, uh, the Silver Evolutionaries, we call ourselves. And it is the most nourishing and supportive thing. So I, I think that, you know, you have to care for your life, not only at this age, but, but starting early. You have to do those things that are supportive of you living well. And I guess... Um, well, I'll, I'll answer your question that way. Maybe, yeah. I, as you're answering the question, I'm thinking these things are so simple. Yeah. But I think that's the point is it just yeah. get down to the basics of what really matter. And you can have a really fulfilling life to focus on your friendships. And but the questions change as you get older. I mean, it used to be, what do I want to do with yeah. that? And now it's, who do I want to be now that I'm old? Mm. And it's a little bit different question. I mean, I, I wrote the book, Why Not Do What You Love? But 
The question could also be, what do I most care about? What matters most to me? And am I speaking up about it? Or is there a cause that I've hidden in my bones that I need to dare to speak about in order to feel complete in my life? Um, I mean, I don't know if that'll make you complete in your life, but it'll be discovery of what's what's next as you keep moving. I, somebody said, and I and I forget now who. Um, the the notion of uh, there are two important days in our life. One is the day we were born, and the second is the day we find out why. And I feel now, looking back at my life for the first time, I I know why I'm here. And um, and so that allows one to make more peace with dying. I mean, dying is not the opposite of living. You are born and then you die. Those two are related. Living, you know, is all the wonderful things you can attach to living and joyfully and meaningfully. The opposite is not living (laughs) that way, really. And we have that choice. And I, you know, I'm really so, so pleased to, um, know that, you know, your writers groups are, have the opportunity not only for people to begin developing who they are and what they think and put it out there in the world, even if it sounds stupid, uh, they just might be ahead of their time. Um, to start promoting these conversations about what really matters to people. And um, it used to be that there was a pattern, you know, you had to do certain things in your, in your life. But now with this gift of longevity, it's where you have to create the map. With all our different experiences, where does that land us now? And what are we going to do? What do we want to develop? How are we going to keep growing? I think that um, you got to keep learning. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You got to keep learning. You published three books. The first book you published at 60. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for someone who has a book inside of them and is saying to themselves, I'm too old to become an author. Too old at 60? I hear this all the time. Oh, I'm too old. I don't, yeah, what would you, what well, would you say? The thing is they're putting um, author as something that's um, something huge. No, let's get rid of author. You're never too old to write your truth. You're never too old to write what you need to say and what's in you. Unless somebody else worry about, you know, where does it go and who's the market for it and what I, I guess I did things a little bit differently because I didn't write the books to sell. I wrote the books to heal. And so it turns out that, you know, I didn't sell a lot of books, but every book that anybody has ever bought and and if you're buying, uh, why not do what you love? Make sure you get the, um, the latest version, which is 2017. And self-publishing has, is the wonderful gift that you can, you know, revise along the way. And so 2017 is the latest. But every person who has read those books tells me how much they meant to them. Well, yes, I didn't sell a lot of books. I don't care whether I'm named an author or not. I wrote what was important to me, and I guess I did things a little bit differently because I didn't have the energy to market way back then. 
I didn't have the energy to do anything. I didn't, when I wrote "Why Not Do What You Love," uh, this was this was serious in, in in Brazil. I didn't even think I could go and give a reading in a bookstore, much less sit here with you talking about something and and keeping my mind on track. <laughs> um, you know, I I just couldn't do anything. So the the point was. If you're 60, I mean, I wrote Why Not Do What You Love at 70, 69, was published at 70. And the two amusing long ways, I made them into a set because somebody asked, I said, yes, you're right, I owe you the title on the the first book, um, Musing Along the Way, because you told me the first time I published it, the title was boring. And so (laughs) when I published it, the second time as a set, because somebody asked me, where's your, where's your second book? And I looked in the files and there were all these poems. And so I made them into a second book and made a set with the, with the new title. And um, this was my healing. This was the story of my life healing. And it seems to have resonated with so many people. In fact, they they read them here years ago when I first came. They had them in the um, the hair salon, and the the uh, and they asked me to do a reading, and so I gave a reading. And then the one woman said, "That's how the the group started. Why don't we tell our own stories?" I said, "Fine." And so for six years, once a month, we'd meet, and they tell their stories, and. Um, the hair salon lady, she had the books memorized because they were sitting in there. She said, Martha, people love your books. If they come in with a problem, I say, go to page 102. <laughs> You'll find out. And I really laughed at that. Oh, dear. Uh, one of the things you believe in is conscious aging. Can you explain what that is? Well, just what we've been talking about. Just paying attention to one's life. Uh, you're 40. Uh, I imagine you're looking forward and you're looking back. And that's what I call conscious aging. And you're drawing some conclusions about, you know, these things didn't work out so well. Or you're, you're saying, well, I, now I know why I did that and I don't need to do it again. And, um, and this is what maybe would really satisfy me. So you're, you're making um, adjustments. And, but you're making adjustments because you're in touch with your life and how you feel and what's true for you. And what are the answers to the questions? You know, what makes me smile? What makes me happy? Who do I like to be with? Um, and you and allowing yourself to live your life according to your answers to those questions. Those are good questions. I was going to ask you if you had any advice for me since you've known me for ten years. <laughs> any advice you ha- want to give me for the next ten years of of my forties? Oh, I just. Keep going because what I love about you is how how you are conscious. Um, when you stumble, you say, "Okay, I'm going to get to the bottom of this and get the help you need," and then you take advantage of that, and and you um, notice, you know. The Speaker's Sisterhood, I think, is just a brilliant creation because for these times, particularly when our paths are very different and there isn't a map except our own heart and we need to be aware of what it is that we care about, what is our cause, what is our interest? What is our love? 
what is our role in this society, which is so messed up? And, and um, so I guess, I guess just to the speaker's sisterhoods can serve so many of those roles that are important in society. First of all, speaking, speaking up and saying what you think. I mean, that's been scary for women and it's been scary for older women. And um, for, for the people in your group, hey, just say I'm terrified and then put it over here. <laughs> or, or I love what I do, even though I'm terrified. You know, it's just um, keeping going, learning and growing. Coming of age, I think, is a daily process. <laughs> That's kind of a new thought that I have. Coming of age is a daily process. And growing old, you know, people argue about, well, you know, you shouldn't call yourself old. Well, I'm old. I don't, you know, some people get offended by that. Well, you know, yeah, I'm old. Parts of me are old and parts of me aren't in terms of my perspectives on life. And um, I have to, have to take care of the things that are getting older, like my body. Yeah. And my ability to walk is limited now. And, um, but I can still get around on a scooter. I can still run a group. <laughs> mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on the show today do you have any final parting words of wisdom or final message you want to share before we sign off yes I one of the other things that I discovered in my pile of sorting is a poem by Audre Lord. it's called litany for survival And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak remembering we were never meant to survive. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Jolie and I hope you love listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now. <laughs>